Well, welcome today to this new series called Sticky Notes. And I want to invite you to take your Bible, if you have it, and turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. Uh, today we're talking about gratitude. And gratitude, basically, it's the state or the quality or, or attitude of being thankful. And um, during this series on Sticky Notes, we're going to talk about just some things that you know about but probably just kind of overlook. That's kind of the whole idea behind a sticky note. We just don't want to forget something, so we jot it down. And I just want to jot down this week, next week, and the next several weeks ahead just some things that it's easy for us to forget, some things that's easy to overlook. It's just some virtues that at the pace of life that we go, it's just very easy to kind of just surface by and, and, and not remember those. And today, uh, speaking about gratitude, it's very easy to forget. I don't know how you are, but I know for me, uh, there are many times it's very easy for me to forget, for me to overlook, for me to even despise some of the blessings that I have, not because I'm intending to do so, but because I do. Um, and there are times where in my own life, I find myself underestimating the value of tomorrow and undervaluing the value of today. And I'm constantly looking ahead and constantly trying to, to do what God's put in my heart and, and, and constantly trying to grow and move forward or, or trying, to, trying to just kind of keep pace. And, and it's so easy just to forget about. And we all do this. Uh, we all have these, what I call the case of the if I hads. Well, if I had this, I would. If I had this, I would. And you go, no, I don't. Yeah, you do. Well, if I were married, I would. Those of you that are single in this room, for some of you that are married, if I was single, no, we won't go there, right? Um, you know, but if I had that pay raise, if I had that promotion, if I had that new car, if I had this, if I had the life that so-and-so had, if I had what so-and-so had, uh, well, if, if I were rich, well, if I had a million dollars, well, if I had whatever it may be, we can just so easily just kind of do life so fast-paced that we actually kind of, we become, we lack gratitude. And we all do this. This isn't a new thing. This is, I don't want you to think like this is an American epidemic or this is something that's happened in the 20th century. No, no, this is as old as Adam and Eve. Think about it. Adam and Eve, they're in the garden and God says, you can do anything you want to do. Just one thing you can't do is eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's the very one thing that they go and do. Because it's this whole thing of if I had this or if I was at this level. or what, and, and, and we overlook all the blessings and all the things. And quite frankly, this struggle of ingratitude is not going to be something that we quit wrestling with until this world is over with. And the Bible gives us account of ingratitude in 1 Kings chapter 17. And I want to give you a little bit of background before we kind of get right into it. First of all, 1 Kings, uh, in, in, in chapter 17, we, we meet this man named Elisha. Now, Elijah was, uh, Elijah means um, the Lord is my God. He was a prophet. He was a man of God. He represented God. He, and, and in this, here's what you have to understand, too, in Scripture. With, with Scripture, there are historical accounts. These actually did happen. But they also have principles. They also have meanings or precepts that we can live out in our lives. And so in this account... Elijah, Elijah represents the man of God. He represents God. And, and basically what's happened is in verse 1, if you back up in verse 1, we, you see that, uh, that God has sent this judgment. And Elijah proclaimed the judgment, but God acts upon this judgment. And it's because of the disobedience of the nation of Israel. Israel has this, 
this on-again, off-again relationship with God. If you've, if you've ever felt like, man, I'm just not worthy and, and, and I must be the only person on the planet that ever struggles with your relationship with Christ, and no, 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 you're, you're in good company when it comes to this is a human condition that sometimes we all deal with where we know what we want to do and we don't do it and the things that we don't want to do, we do, and we have this conflict in our own spirit and our own soul. And so Israel is in this off-again relationship with God. And because of their disobedience, they began to worship other gods, and especially they're worshiping a god named Baal, B-A-A-L. And so because of their worship of this god named Baal, Elijah, the man of God, steps up and says, here's what's going to happen. It's not going to rain. And so we find out historically that it doesn't rain for three and a half years. Now, I know right now we don't like rain. Uh, and in the south, we don't lack rain. West Texas, which has been in a drought, is lacking of rain, but just got rain this week. Um, it, it's, it's, it's the opposite. And what's happening is, is that with this comes all the hardships that come with the lack of rain. It's interesting that why did, did, did God choose rain? This is just kind of a little theological bent here just to throw out. Because Baal, this, this false god Baal, was known to control rain. And God says, you think he controls the heavens? You think he controls rain? I'll show you who controls rain. Boom, it won't rain for three and a half years. It will not rain until my prophet, the man of God, Elijah, declares it to be so again. And so, in this whole thing comes famine. It's this byproduct of this judgment. And so with this, there's this economic downturn. There's this recession. There's this depression. Whatever you want to call it. Times are hard, right? And enters into this whole scenario, this widow. Now, it's interesting to me because the, the Bible is always intentional. There's never a reason. If it gives you a name for a place, there's a reason. If it gives you the name of a person, there's a reason. If it omits the place or it omits the name of the person, the character in the account, there's a reason. We do not know anything except for this lady is from Zarephath. That's all we know. And that's because God told Elijah to go down and to go to this place and that this widow woman from Zarephath would be there. She has no name to us, although Elijah has a relationship in this, in this um, pastoral type of a way with her. And, but she has no name. And I think the reason why is because we can all identify with her. Uh, and we can't just say, well, that's so-and-so story. No, no, no. It's, it's just it could be anybody's story. And we know that this is a single mom. The Bible says she has a son and she's a widow. And you have to understand, in biblical times, that was a very difficult thing because she was ostracized from society. There, there were no fair like labor laws that were protecting her civil rights. There was nobody going on her behalf. She was kind of out there to fend for herself and her son. This famine has brought hardship over the entire land. And, and Elijah, in, he encounters this woman who basically is not more than just down on her luck. She's given up on life. And she's about to die. And that's where I want to pick it up in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse number 7. The Bible says this. And sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath to the region of Sidon and stay there. And I have directed a widow to there to supply you with food. It's interesting because you'll find out that he doesn't tell the widow anything about this. Just... Elijah. Verse 10. So he goes to Zarephath, and he came, comes to the, the, the town gate, and a widow was there gathering sticks, and he called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in my jar so that I may have something to drink? As she's going to get it, she's trying to be nice and polite, and uh, he called, and oh yeah, by the way, please bring me a piece of bread. Doesn't sound like a big deal, right? Look at, look at her response in verse 12. As surely as the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, your God lives. She's having doubts about this. Uh, um, I don't have any bread, 
only a handful of jar, a handful of flour in a jar, and a little olive oil in the jug, and I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make myself a meal for myself and my son. By the way, I'm a single mom, she's letting him know, that we may eat it and die. You know, have you ever like asked somebody for something and they just go, they just like, it just comes all out. I mean, you're just like, hey, could you pass the salt? No, I can't pass the salt. And they just, this is what she's doing. It's this deal. And Elijah in verse 13 doesn't freak out. He just responds and says to her, remember, he's representing God. Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you just said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, he uses her word, Lord, the exact same word that she used, capital L-O-R-D, the God of Israel says. He's reminding her again of that he is God. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. And she went away and did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah, and for the woman, and for her family. Verse 16, for the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Great. Great little Sunday school lesson there, Arian. That's awesome. Well, let's unpack this for a minute, because I think it deals totally with with this whole attitude of gratitude. And in verse 12, she basically gives us what I would call the natural perspective. This is basically just, this is the human perspective. This is how she's looking at life. This is her point of view, and you probably can identify with this. First of all, she feels completely hopeless. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. Completely hopeless. She's completely hopeless. She just says, I'm going to go home and die. Have you ever felt like that? I'm going to go home and eat worms. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I'm going to go home and eat worms. Uh, Bloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. Some of you are looking at me real piously. Uh, Either you are living in a different la-la land, or we're not on the same planet. We've all felt that way. Where you just go, I'm done, man. Stick a fork in me. I am done like a Thanksgiving Day turkey. I am tired of battling this. I am tired of trying. I am tired of pushing this thing uphill. I feel like everything's coming against me. You know what? I'm just going to be done. I'm going to go home and just call it quits. She's hopeless. Hopeless. There's no hope. I mean, there is no hope. She's going to make this little cake and she's going to go home and she's going to die. That's what she says. She's helpless. Not because she's incompetent, not because she's not strong-willed, not because she's not smart. No, she's, she's helpless. She says, I don't have any bread. I don't have anything to give you. I have nothing. This whole lack of resources. I, I have nothing. I am helpless. I'm helpless to help you. I can get you some water because it's over here at the well, but I have nothing to give you. You ever felt like that? You have nothing but some peanut butter, right, and some bread. I don't have anything but I got this a couple of, couple of gallons of gas in my car. I don't have anything but just a few clothes in my car. I don't have anything but there's always that but. We're going to come back to that but in just a minute. And then she's basically thankless. I don't mean to beat up on the woman, but she's thankless. She doesn't have a name, so we're not really picking on anybody in particular. She says, I only have a handful of flour and a little oil. What she does has, she speaks down to it. I only have this handful of flour and this little bit of oil and this little handful of flour and this little bit of oil. I'm going to go home and make a cake and I'm going to die. That's what she says. Now, I'm not writing this. This is what she says. 
But I'm telling you, this whole sentiment of, of, of ingratitude, this, this lack of gratitude in her life is not a new thing. Let me make a couple of strong pastoral comments. And then I want to talk about how do we develop this attitude of gratitude. I don't know where you may be today. You may be thankless. You may be hopeless. You may be helpless about something. But if you are, I want you to identify that. You don't have to write it down. You have to tell me. You can write it on the sticky note if you want to. But here's what I want you to do today. I want you to identify what that thing is. What are you ticked about? What are you mad about? Maybe you've lost a job. Maybe, may, may, maybe you've, been, you've had a pay cut. May, maybe you're, you're just fighting hell and hanging on. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's whatever. Seriously, I, I want you to identify whatever that is because that's what I want to talk to you for the next few minutes. Because what you've told yourself is that I'm hopeless. This marriage will never work. This relationship will never work. I'm never going to get to have a job like I, had, like I had the last place. I'm never going to find anybody. You don't know how old I am. And we all have these circumstances. We all have our whole picture that we paint. You don't know how old I am. You don't know what the market's doing. You don't know what's happened. The world's passed me by. Everybody hates me. Nobody loves me. I'm just going to go die. Hopeless. But you identify whatever that is. Because here's what I know. As I was preparing for this message this week, here's what I know. There are people in this room, you feel completely hopeless because of situations in your life. You're totally identifying what I'm saying. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I just want to get in your kitchen because I'm going to help you. I'm going to do exactly what Elijah did for this widow woman. I'm just going to take the words of the Lord, and I'm going to show you how to turn that situation around. I'm not Tony Romans. I'm not trying to, trying to get you to think better or get you positive thinking. I'm just going to tell you what God's word says. You may feel helpless, completely helpless in the situation. Completely like, there's nothing you can do. You don't, under, you don't understand, I've tried. I've tried this, I've tried this, I've tried this, I've tried this. You don't think that woman hadn't tried to save her and her son? You don't think that woman hadn't prayed? You don't think that woman hadn't tried to, tried to do something? You don't think she just, she didn't just up in one day? There is a drought in the land. Everybody's losing it. There's a famine. There's a problem. Does that not sound like America today? There's an economic downturn. Things are tough. Things are rough. This is happening with this market. This is going with this market. Pull your money out of here and put it into gold and do this and do that and there's all these crazy things helpless there's nothing I can do I'm just a victim of my circumstance really and completely thankless completely thankless because we have a tendency to overlook the very things that we have we have a tendency to despise the small beginnings that God's given us we have a tendency to do that and what you may be facing could be totally legit but the truth is is your problem is not your problem let me rewind the tape on that one The truth is, your problem is not your problem. What you identified on that piece of paper, on that sticky note, or in your mind mentally, is not the issue. It's an attitude. It's your perspective about the situation. It's your lack of gratitude that keeps you from the victory that you're supposed to have. And you go, well, then why am I feeling this way? Why am I dealing with this? Because the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and the rulers of darkness and everything that exalts itself for the name of the power and the glory of God. You and I are not rock'em, sock'em robots. You and I are not just sitting here on this galaxy, in this cosmos, just completely suspended from everything else. There is a spiritual battle that's going on over your life, over your family, over your kids, over your situation. And the Bible says that the enemy of your soul, soul, John chapter 10, is going about like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. I said that like a true redneck, didn't I? Like a roaring lion. Like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But Jesus has come that you can have life and life to the full. 
I'm telling you, the situation that you're battling isn't what you wrote on that page. It's not what you have in your mind. It's not your marriage. That's not the enemy. Your spouse is not the enemy. It's not the job. It's not the economy. It's not Barack Obama. It's not the Republicans. It's not the Democrats. Ooh, don't shout me down when I'm preaching. Good. It's not any of this stuff that's out here. It's something that we deal with internally. It's the lack of your own gratitude. Some of you are going, I shaved my legs for this. I'm going to tell you exactly what Elijah told this woman. He puts a super onto her natural. He has a supernatural perspective. And he tells her, here's how to turn your situation around. Here's how God sees your situation. You see it as hopeless, helpless, and thankless. Here's what God says. First of all, he says, take hope. Take hope. Verse 13, take hope. He says, do not be afraid. Why? Because when you're that desperate, when you're hopeless, when you're helpless, when you're thankless, fear sets in. And it grips your heart and it seizes your heart. And I want you to hear this. God has not given us the spirit of fear, 2 Timothy says, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. If your mind is going in 50 million directions, it's not of God. If you don't walk in confidence, that's not God's will. If you're not walking in perfect peace, because that's what the Bible says, that his love, the love of God gives us perfect peace. It it drives out all fear. That that the peace of God, Philippians 4, 7, says that the peace of God, it umpires, it rules our hearts and our spirits and our souls. It's like an umpire that that calls a foul foul. It calls a ball fair. It it speaks to the situation. And he says to her right from the very beginning, I want you to take take hope, quit being afraid. And for some of you, that may be the first part. You may just need to write that down on the sticky note and put that on the dashboard, put that on the mirror, put that above the kitchen sink, put that on the coffee maker. I don't know. But that may be, and you may have to just watch this, this message later this week and get the rest of this. But that's the first thing that he tells her. See, the word of the Lord is don't be afraid, don't have fear. Because when we begin to fear, we lose the gratitude that God gives us. We, we lose this state and this quality and this being of thankfulness. We begin to look at everything. When, when, when we walk in fear, we begin to look at everything. And there's shadows everywhere. And there's something everywhere. And there's a, there, 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 there's a devil behind every corner. And there's a problem behind every situation. And we begin to tremble. We begin, begin to quake. And, and I'm just telling you, the first thing is, is take hope. Take hope. Don't be afraid. The second thing that he tells her is act in obedience. Act in obedience. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home. And the first thing I want you to do is not take care of yourself. I want you to take care of me. That's pretty audacious, isn't it? I mean, let's just be honest. If you have a cake or enough oil and flour that you're going to make a cake, you're going to go home and eat it and die. And I say, hey, you know what? Take care of me first. I'm the man of God. I'm telling you, people would leave the church over that. They'd get mad over that. That's all that preacher wants is he takes somebody to take care of him. Can you hear it? I mean, don't, don't get so spiritual. You know the end of the story, but she doesn't know that. She knows this man of God comes into town and says, hey, why don't you get me some water? Why are you at it? Can I have a loaf of bread? Can I have a piece of bread? Can I have a hush puppy, a biscuit? Whatever your context is, right? Seriously. Can I have a roll of sourdough? It doesn't matter. Whatever. And she looks at him like, this isn't Panera. You know, this is not, I don't have it on Fresh Bakery back here. I have nothing. Matter of fact, since you ask, you know, she begins to tell him her situation. So you're reading it way too spiritual. She gives him three circles and a snap with a hip hop, and she tells him exactly how it is. 
And he says, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to make a cake for me. And then the second thing I want you to do is take care of you and your son. Why would he say that? Spiritual principle. It's the way the kingdom works. Jesus says, if you want to be first, then you've got to be willing to be last. If you want to be served, then you must serve. If you want to have friends, then you must first show yourself friendly. If you want to, if you want to lead, then you've got to follow. Proverbs says that the way the master's chamber is through the servant's quarters. See, the world says take care of you first. Take care of numero uno first. That you're the most important. God's word says, no, 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 no. You, if you will treat yourself as last, I will serve you. If you want to take care of your big bad self, then go on with your bad self. But if you want to do it my way, if you want to do it this way, then you've got to act in obedience. And the first thing you have to do is take care of me. That's why Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things shall be added unto you. Vertical relationship with God first, everything else happens. What happens is we want to take care of all of this and then deal with this. We want, we want Jesus to be an add-on. We want him to be like an option, like an upgrade, like we get leather on a car. We want it to be just like an add-on to our life. And he says, no, 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 I have to be the foundation. I have to be the first thing. I have to be the first thing in your life. I'm number one or nothing at all. I tell every young couple that I do premarital counseling with, your life is like a cup, and you have to fill the cup of your life with Christ. And if you're at 50% and, you're, and, you're, and your um, fiancé is at 100%, guess where your marriage is at? 50%. It's whatever the lowest common denominator is, that's the new level of the relationship. And if you fill the cup of your life with stuff or with money or with people or with that person, I'm telling you it's going to come up empty. The only thing you can fill the cup of your life with is God. When you fill it with him, he will take care of all these things shall be added unto you. I'm telling you, if I didn't believe it, I wouldn't be standing here preaching it. If I didn't believe it, I wouldn't be sitting here listening to it. If I didn't believe it, I'm telling you, I'd be somewhere, I'd be at like Dave and Buster's playing games right now, having myself a big cheeseburger. I'm telling you, I would be somewhere else. But the truth of the matter is, is that when I put him first, that all the things are added unto me. When I seek first the kingdom of God, when I serve him first, when I give him first. Remember, Elijah represents God. And this widow woman represents us, someone who is, who is hopeless and helpless and hurting and thankless and has lost our gratitude in life. And we've overlooked the very things that God's given us. And God says, the first thing you do is take care of me. That's the reason why when people come to me and go, I'm having financial problems, I go, do you tithe? Well, no, I don't have the money to tithe. That's your first problem. Because what you've done is you've checked yourself before you rickety-rickety-wrecked yourself. And what you've done is you've said, I know how to do this better than God's Word knows how to do it. And you're always going to scrimp. You're always going to go after. You're always going to have less. And you're always going to live in the land of lack because you want to do it your way instead of his way. I didn't write the book. Trust me, if I wrote it, I'd write it a little bit different. You would too. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. I probably lowered that 10% now just a little bit. Lord, how about doing like 3%? Wouldn't that be good? Let's just, now, no, can we negotiate this a little bit? How about a flat tax? Just something like that. You know, we just give us a dollar a week or something. But it's that way in, in so many things because we, we look at things and we go, I'm not going to operate in obedience, but I want God to bless my life. I'm not going to operate, I, I, see, I see singles all the time who, who they want to have a marriage that honors God, but they want to sleep around. You want to operate in disobedience? You think you know what you're doing? We're just going to try it out. We're just going to check it out. We're just going to see what it looks like. You know, I don't want to end in divorce. Well, I'm going to tell you there's a higher level of people that end in divorce that live together before they get married and have sex together. It's, it's, it's incredibly higher, statistically speaking, 
than what it is for people who abstain themselves and keep themselves pure into marriage. And you go, well, that's a little old-fashioned. No, that's called the Word of God. Act in obedience. You take care of God first, and then you take care of yourself. You do it His way first, and then all these things should be added unto you. And what Elijah's saying to her is, listen, if you're going to just go take care of yourself, then go eat your cake and die. But if you want to live, I'm going to tell you how to live. Take care of me first, God, and then take care of yourself. It's, it's a principle all throughout Scripture. It's what Jesus taught. Serve, and then you'll be served. Love, then you'll be loved. Give, and then it shall be given unto you. Press down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give unto you. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. I'm going to tell you something else. God's given you everything that you need. Sometimes you look at your situation, you look at your circumstance, and you go, how can I operate in obedience? I don't have enough. I don't have enough to tithe. I don't have enough to do this. I, I don't have enough to do this. I don't have enough to do that. I, I can't do this. I, I don't know how to do this. I don't, I don't, I, 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 and we have all these excuses. And I'm going to tell you what God's given you what you need. He gave that woman exactly what she needed. Now, she overlooked it. She said, all I have is a little bit of a handful of flour and a little jug of oil. That's all I got. But little becomes much when God's in it. We see this all throughout Scripture. God takes little and makes much out of it. And here's what he wants to know. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? Do you trust him with your finances? Do you trust him with your life? Do you trust him with your marriage? Do you trust him with your children? Do you trust him with your job? Do you trust him with your future? Do you trust him with your life? Do you trust him with your future mate? Do you trust him with your singleness? Do you trust him with your time? Do you trust him with your talent? Do you trust him with your treasure? Do you trust him? That's what he wants to know. Because I'm telling you again, what you need to get out of your situation that's hopeless and helpless and thankless, you have. It's in your hand. Oh, it may be a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil, but it's you got what you need. You have exactly what you need. And he says, I want you to take what you have because what you have is enough. What you have is enough. I'm camping on this just for a minute because I think so many times we overlook what we have. I'm not connected enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't do this. But there's this desire to want to do something great. I don't know how I can ever get here, but there's this thing in me. I know God's called me to go this direction, and I'm walking this out, and I'm walking in obedience, but it doesn't feel like it's working out. I'm doing this thing, but I don't really feel like I'm seeing the return. I, 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 I hope I'm right. I hope this. And, and I'm just telling you what you have. God has given you the ability and the strengths and the gifts and the talents to do what he's called you to do. The reason why you feel like it's not enough is because the enemy of your soul says, y'all, you got a little bit of flour, a handful of flour, a little bit of oil. There's only enough cake there for you, enough ingredients there for you to make a cake, and then you're just going to die because you have nothing else. People all the time, I I don't have anything but this. I don't have anything but I don't have anything but. What's that but that you have? Let's talk about your but just for a minute. (laughs) True? How many times do people go, I don't have anything but. I don't have this but. I'm telling you. Listen to me. The miracle that you need is in your house. What you need to become, what God wants you to be, God's given you. The relationships, the connections, the wisdom, the brains, the whatever. But I don't feel like I'm worthy. Can I tell you, nobody ever does. Nobody does. Can I tell you how incompetent I feel on most days? Can I tell you how like, unworthy I feel on most days? Do you, you, you know how, and I'm telling you, and, the, and I used to think when I was in my 20s that the older I got, the more I'd have this thing figured out. 
I feel like the older I get, the more it becomes unraveled. The more it's like a map that you've unfolded and you're trying to fold it back up. I, 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 I'm just telling you, the older that I get, the more I have questions, the more, it, the more it, there's just, and, and the more I don't feel like I'm, but the more that I see God doing. Act in obedience. What's that handful of flour? What's that little bit of oil that you have? Whatever that is, God's given you that because he wants to use it to use something great. Because we all would go, hey man, the miracle's great. And we like the miracle part, but I'm telling you, she had to take the little bit of flour and the little bit of oil and turn around and use it to what God wanted to do. What's your little flour? What's your little oil? What's the one little thing you go with it? I don't have anything, but that's all I got. This is all I got. What's that little thing? Next thing he tells her in verse 14, have faith. Have faith. Have faith. For this is what the Lord says. I love how he takes her words and he spins them and uses them on her. You call him my Lord. Let me tell you what your Lord says. Let me tell you what your Lord's going to do. Let me tell you what the promises of God's word is. I'm telling you, the greatest thing I can do as a pastor, the greatest thing I can do as, a, as, as someone who's preaching the, 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 the gospel is to tell you, is to take, tell you to take the word of God and learn it. Read it. Learn it. Learn it. Learn it. Is it boring sometimes? Yes. If every time you read scripture it's just alive, I mean, you're not on the same planet I'm on. I'm just telling you. There are days where, where I feel like I'm having to prime the pump, and there's days I feel like I'm just having to, to dig. There's days that I feel like I'm just gutting it out. It just is what it is. There are times where I read the Bible and it just like comes alive. It's like 3D, full motion. I mean, it's just like everything's there and I just can't get enough of it. And I look up and I've read a couple of books. And there are other days I think, man, I must be reading for 30 minutes. I look up, I've been reading for five minutes. Let me help you with something that I, I, got, I got. When I'm reading through the Bible, all the begets, you know, so-and-so begets, so-and-so, so-and-so begets, so-and-so. It's all the genealogy stuff. I skip that. Can I help you with that? Unless you're studying it, just skip it. I'm just telling you, just skip it. It'll help you. You get to heaven, if we're wrong, just say, Pastor said, skip it. I'll take one for the team. I'm just telling you. Because you don't know who the Israelites and the Pezzarites and the Termites and the Hittites. We don't know who was wearing tights, right? I mean, you ever felt like that? Just skip it. Get on, get on to the good stuff. Get to the stuff that's going to help you. It has a purpose, it has a value, it has a reason. But I'm going to tell you, take the Bible and learn it. Take God's word and love it. Take God's word and live it out in your life in such a way that your kids see the word of God lived out in your life. And lean on it. I say this all the time, but it's so true. We lean so heavily upon God's word that if it were to move, we would fall. Are you living life that way? Seriously, are you building your marriage that way? I'm building my marriage so much on the word of God and the principles of God's word. I'm not asking if you're going to church. I'm not asking if you're staying awake during the sermon. I'm asking, because some of you aren't, I'm asking, (laughs) do you lean on the word of God and the teachings of God's word that if it's wrong, it's going to blow your marriage up? If it's wrong, you're going to mess your kids up. If it's wrong, your whole life's going to be a disaster. See, he tells her, remember the words of the Lord. Have faith. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. And you may be here today, and you may not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and I want to talk to you just for a second. 
Because you're not going to understand anything else that I'm saying unless you understand this. The Bible says it's not, we're not saved by our own actions. We're not saved by our own works. We're saved by grace through Jesus Christ, lest any of us would boast. It's a gift of God. And we simply believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is who the Bible says he is. And then we are saved. That's Romans 10, 9, and 10. And if you're here today and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, it's that simple. Just to say, Jesus, come into my heart, come into my life, be my Lord, and be my Savior. When we close in prayer today, I'm going to give you an opportunity that if you have not, have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. Why? Because there's no way you can have faith in God unless you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's that simple. It's not about joining a church. It's not about joining Life Church. It's not about knowing me. It's about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And he tells her, have faith. Go to God's word. Go back to his word. And the last thing is experience the miracle. Experience the miracle. In verse 15, the Bible says she does exactly what Elijah tells her to do. And in verse 16, God does exactly what he said he would do. Now, folks, it's that simple. When we do what God tells us to do, when we live out what God's word tells us to do, God will do what he says he will do. When we lean so heavily, be, so heavily upon God's word that if it were to move, we'd fall, God will not let us fall. God will not, will not let us be embarrassed for his cause. God will not let us. See, it's a principle here that vision always precedes provision. Vision always precedes provision. You have to do before God shows up. You have, to, you have to step out in faith before God meets you. God's not going to show up and say, here's a provision. Now, do you believe me? Here's everything. Do, do you believe me? Here's your life. Do you believe me? Here's the job. Do you believe me? No, you've got to take that step of faith. You've got to walk that word of God out. You've got to stand upon the word of the Lord. Because honestly, when you first start doing it, things fall apart. All hell breaks loose. When you start trusting God at the beginning, doesn't it? Like the, the devil kind of goes, hey, man, something is up with Fred. I have got to like put a stop to this because Fred's going to like go just totally crazy and fanatical for Jesus. And I don't need a fanatical Fred on my hands. I need that same Fred that couldn't stay awake during church, that same Fred that skipped every time he had a chance, that same Fred that, that would throw $3 in an offer and think he was doing God a favor. That's the Fred I need. And so he does everything he can when, when Fred starts tithing, Fred starts serving, Fred starts starts giving, Fred starts taking God's word at, at, at its root and starts living that out. But when you do that and you continue to do that, God will do what he says he's going to do. Galatians 6, God's not a man. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that's what he'll reap. Vision always precedes provision. And the summary today is simply this. Take hope. You're not hopeless. Whatever the situation may be, I just want you to take hope. You're not hopeless. Uh, act in obedience. You're not helpless. What's the one thing you have the ability to do? What's the one step that you can do? What's the one thing that you have? What's the little bit of flour and a little bit of oil? What's the one thing that you have? Give it to God. Serve it to God. Surrender it to God. What is that thing? What is whatever it may be? Just give it to him. Keep the faith. Whatever you do. Faith is the sum of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. We are a people of faith. We do not walk by our feelings. We don't walk by our emotions. We, are, we walk by faith and not by sight. Keep your faith. Your faith in your 
yourself? No. Your faith in the church? No. Your faith in Aaron Colt? No way. You are jacked up if you do that. Keep your faith in God. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you, even to the end of the world. He's a friend that sits closer than any brother. He's the one that gave his life for you. And he's come to give you life and life to the full. And keep your faith in God's word. How do you develop that faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What you're doing now is developing your faith. And you say, I'm feeling better about my situations. And, and then, then the enemy of your soul will kind of go, well, that's just, that's just you know, feel good talk. No, that's the word of God. Because we're quoting scripture after scripture. We're showing you right in scripture, expositorily, exactly. Here's exactly what you can do. Here's exactly how it works out in your life, whether you believe in God for a job, whether you believe in God for your kids, whether you believe in God for your marriage, whether you believe in God for a spouse, whether you believe in God for your future, whatever it is, whatever the situation is, keep the faith and then you're going to see the miracle happen in your life. Why? Because God is not mocked. Whatever God's word says that he will do, he will do. Gratitude. It is so easy for me for you, for all of us, just to live life and go so fast that we become thankless. And we despise the very little things that we have. So studying for this message, I came across a, um, an excerpt of, of a book by Corey Ten Boom. Corey Ten Boom was a, a Holocaust survivor. And she lived in a concentration camp, and she was able, and she was a Christ follower, and she lived in a concentration camp, and she, um, she saw family, she saw other people die, horrific deaths, and she survived. She wrote a book, and in the book she tells of a, of a story where she was towards the end of her time in the concentration camps, and they're brought into this horrible situation, she says. And it's flea infested, the, 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 the beds are, and it's just, it's, it smells, it's just thick, it, it's, it's, it's full, there's just, they're crammed in there. And, uh, but they had smuggled the Bible in. And her sister Betsy, that night, they opened God's Word. And they opened it to the passage where it says, Be thankful for all things, and at all times give thanks. And Corey immediately just said, how can we be thankful for this? And Betsy said, whoa, wait. Said, and, you know, all, all we have is this, we're in a concentration camp for crying out loud. We could die. We've seen people die. We, 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 the, the, there's no end to this. And she said, well, the first thing we could be thankful for is the fact that we have each other. And Corey said, yeah, okay, thank you, God, that I have my sister Betsy. Have you ever felt like that? And Betsy says, the second thing we could be thankful for is that we have God's word. Because this is what gives us hope. And she goes on later to talk about how the word of God is the thing that saw her through that concentration camp. She said, yeah, you're right. She said, the other thing we could be thankful for is how many people are in here. And she said, are you kidding? I mean, this is packed. I mean, there's, it's, I mean, and she said, but think of how many people are hopeless in this room, Corey, that we're going to be able to share the love of Jesus Christ with because we have a Bible. And she said, yeah. She said, that, well, what about the flea-infested bed? <laughs> and Betsy said, the Bible says, in all things and, for, and in all times, give thanks. Okay, God, thank you for the fleas. 
And it just reminded me. Our situations probably aren't quite as dire as that. And when God's word says, in all times and in all ways and in all situations, give thanks. We give thanks. I just want to remind you that little word gratitude on that sticky note. That you're not hopeless. You're not helpless. So don't be thankless. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you today. Lord, for your grace that's sufficient for all of our sins and for all of our failings. For your forgiveness today that's free. God, for your, for your, Lord, for your life that you give us that's to the full. Lord, for your mercies that are new every single morning. And God, for your faithfulness that endures forever. And I know, Lord, today there are people in this room, they're hurting. There's situations that are going on and they feel just like this widow. And they just want to wallow in their self-pity and they want, to, they want to just say, here's all the reasons why I can't and here's all the things, but your word comes along, Lord, and it takes all those excuses away. And it reminds us that in all things and in all times that we give thanks. And that gratitude, just like our attitude, is something that we choose. And even if we're in the situation, Lord, where all we've got is a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil and we're going to make ourselves a cake and we're going to die, I just pray that you would, Lord, speak those words, don't be afraid into our spirits and in our hearts today. Lord, I pray, give us the strength, because you have, for us to act and for us to serve you and do what you've asked first and then take care of ourselves second. And in doing that, when we're doing that, Lord, we're showing that we trust you, not some calisthenic, not some working for our salvation, but Lord, it's the way the kingdom of God works. That we trust you and not ourselves. That we trust your word and not our words. That, Lord, you're, a, you're not a man that you would lie, but you are God. The same today, yesterday, and forever. That you change not. Your compassions fail not. And great is your faithfulness, O God. And that, Lord, in this journey called life, that we would keep the faith. And that we would do what you've asked us to do. And that we would cling to your word. And see you do in our lives what we don't have the ability to do. In Jesus' name. And with every head bowed and every eye closed. There may be those of you in this room today that you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to ask you to lift your hands. I just simply want you to pray this prayer with me. I said a few minutes ago that I was going to give you an opportunity. I just want you to pray this prayer. And if you believe the prayer that you're, that you're about to pray, the Bible says, Romans 10, 9 and 10, that you are saved because with your heart you, you believe and with your mouth you confess. And I'm going to ask everyone in this room that there are Christ followers to lend your voice and to pray this prayer with me. For those that are doing this for the very first time, would you pray with me, dear Jesus? Please come into my heart and be my personal Lord and Savior. I am a sinner and I know that you, Jesus, are the Savior of my soul. I give you my life. I give you my situation. I give you my hopelessness. 
I give you my helplessness and I ask for your life today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Father, just thank you for those that have made that prayer, made that commitment today. And I just pray as we leave today that you would give us strength to walk this out. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you.